Welcome to season five, episode 11 of the Tapping Into podcast. And we are at the end of the season for now, but I do potentially have one or two more others that will come later as special editions. So if you're new to this podcast, then definitely check out the previous episodes of this season and all four other seasons and all my amazing guests. This podcast is sponsored by Olvirum, an award-winning cult beauty and well-being brand steeped in ritual, powered by nature, focused on self-care and finessed by science. And if you haven't tried it yet, I just really recommend treating yourself, a friend or a loved one, or getting it on your wish list. It is really hard to describe how lovely and powerful this scent is. Ovirum are offering you a chance to feel relaxed, restored and renewed by giving you an exclusive 20% discount using the codes TAPPING FOR MUMS in all caps on their website. In this week's episode, I chat to Kate Moryusef, a fellow tapper and host of the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. She's also an ADHD lifestyle and well-being coach and helps overwhelmed yet unfulfilled women find more calm, balance, health, compassion, creativity and clarity. She's recently launched the ADHD Women's Hormone Series, helping and empowering neurodivergent women to understand the intersection of their hormone imbalances alongside their ADHD and or autism. Kate shares with us how she learned about her own ADHD diagnosis while navigating a diagnosis for her daughter, whilst in the midst of lockdown and homeschooling. Coming from a family where her brother's ADHD was diagnosed when they were young, Kate felt the impact that many women are realizing these days. ADHD in girls was not diagnosed in the 80s and 90s as it was thought to be just a boy's thing that they would grow out of. We discuss how Kate supports other women, newly diagnosed with ADHD using tapping and other tools to help bring calm and grounded energy into the body. Kate explains what ADHD actually is and how our wiring and emotional regulation is different. That is difficult in a world, society and conditioning set up for neurotypical people. I asked Kate about the recent Panorama documentary about the rise in ADHD diagnosis and gets her views on why the documentary has been so damaging, especially to newly diagnosed women. There is so much in this episode and if you or anyone around you is navigating a diagnosis or is newly diagnosed or thinks you might have ADHD, I really encourage you to listen and share this far and wide. Kate has some great resources to help you too. You can find out more about Kate on our website adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk or follow her on Instagram ADHD underscore women's wellbeing underscore pod. It would be so great to hear your thoughts on this episode as well as all the other episodes that we've had in this season. I really really hope you've enjoyed all these podcasts as much as I have enjoyed recording them and bringing them to you and I hope to have two more special guests uh, in the next few months to share with you. In the meantime, do rate, review, subscribe, share with everyone you know, and I'm so grateful for your support and um, have loved having you on this journey with me. Have fun. Welcome to the Tapping Into podcast, Kate. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat today um, because I know a lot of people um, in my community that are navigating sensory um, issues in terms of mo- not not maybe issues but more understanding so you know the the understanding of their sensory own sensory needs and then the sensory needs of their families um, yeah. and how the f- actually the family's needs are impacting affecting their own realization of self um, and and I think coming to you today talking about that is just perfect because of your own experience and you are a fellow tapper and you're using it in your community to support the women um, that you um, attract to you that have ADHD and so I just think it's going to be a really useful conversation to have for people navigating this world and we've got practical tools as well that can support um, uh, support them as well so really yeah big thank you for that yeah I'm looking forward to this conversation (laughs) um 
Let's start with you and your journey into ADHD, your kind of awareness and understanding, diagnosis, and then uh, I'd love to then get to kind of how you came to tapping as well. So kind of maybe a little bit of the, the journey for us. Yeah, well, actually, the tapping came before the ADHD. But oh. the reason why I started using EFT was because I had this awareness that there was something dysregulated in my nervous system. I had this awareness that I never felt very settled. There was always low level. Well, I would say I not even low level, sometimes very high level anxiety and um, a lot of overthinking, worrying, catastrophizing. Um, but also this sort of like flitting nature of lots of ideas and interests and creativity. And there was just, I felt like I needed something to ground me. Mm. And um, so I got the diagnosis um, as I was going through my EFT training. And the reason why I loved EFT so much was because it helped me. It just calmed something down within me that I'd never found anywhere else before. So it made me realize how important it was for other people with ADHD. But my ADHD diagnosis journey, um, I've always known about ADHD. It's been in my family. My brothers were diagnosed at young, you know, when they were young kids um, back in the early 90s. Um, and it was still very much then a boy's disorder. Um, it was something that only young boys had and for, they grew out of it. It was something that they just had in school. That was the, the that was what people knew and believed in the 90s. Wow. And then I was the little girl in between my two brothers who mm. were very challenging in different ways for my parents and in schooling and academia. And I just kind of got my head down and got on with it and internalized, internalized, kept quiet, very shy, um, didn't want to be disruptive. I was the opposite of what my brothers were. Of course, yeah. But there was a lot of daydreaming. There was a lot of looking out the window. There was a lot of not understanding things, but not really wanting to ask any questions. A lot of thinking things in different ways, but being like, why is no one else thinking what I'm thinking? Or why is no one else like confused about that? So everything was internalized and it was just, it was just years and years of suppressing, pushing down, pushing down. Um, and then it was only when one of my kids was, um, she was going through some sort of challenges at school. And then we obviously had lockdown in 2020. I was homeschooling her. And finally I was like, this is not just dyslexia. This is not just dyspraxia. There is something else going on. And that is when I started reading about ADHD in girls and there was just so many like pennies dropping you know in every like moment of my my life but also seeing it for her and seeing myself in her and it was like all this inner child stuff coming up and it was a, we were navigating COVID navigating navigating homeschooling oh. almost having some like grief process of myself and what I never knew about myself and wanting to help my children because I can see it in well I've had two diagnosed and I've got four kids and you know I'm almost convinced it shows up in all four of them but in different ways different yeah. types so yeah it's been a busy old few years I can't you know I can't even comprehend that because personally I found you know the first particularly the first lockdown like absolutely horrendous and I think I have PTSD when I think back about it mm. um but that was must have been so triggering for you like just mm. to to understand like I'm just thinking of your little self you know the inner child of you you the wounding the pain the isolation maybe the feeling abandoned feeling not heard unsupported misunderstood the masking the good girl complex like just just all flooding into me now and I just feel so much oh I don't know compassion for your younger self you know because that is an awful lot to deal with yeah thank you for that and yeah I feel like you just looked into into my soul for a second there. <laughs> um and it was very much like that combined mm. with a parents divorce at about 12 or 13 and we were living in a different country abroad with a different language wow. moving schools like every few weeks months it was just it was when I look back at my kids, because they're all that age now in different capacities of yeah. 
going through that sort of trauma from the age of about 10 to pretty much when I left home and kind of ran into my husband's arms and um, from a very young age and it was just survival genuine Mm. and I only understand that now as a sort of nearly 43 year old woman with four kids um that I was my nervous system was like on fight or flight the whole time and I just got on with it I had no choice um so now I understand with my training and now understanding how it it looks I never gave myself any validation that there was quite a bit of trauma there and um so yeah, the ADHD diagnosis was actually very validating, very helpful because mm. I piece lots of things together. And it also has helped me navigate lots of things like the, the anxiety and the worry uh, and this dysregulated sort of nervous system, which has been like my raison d'etre of, of helping other women and also using EFT, um, using tapping from a very sort of like somatic place of just like grounding, yeah. like literally just in your body. Um, so yeah, it's been incredibly helpful. And I know that a lot of my clients who have got ADHD also find it very, very helpful. I imagine having the tapping tool in your armor while going through that would have been extremely supportive to you from a mindset perspective you know not just the the body mm. energy that you're kind of holding the the high a- anxiety and high intensity energy but because like we know that our traumas and, and I think what you went through here was like a repetition of small traumas which can be even more oh, damaging you know than the single bigger traumas and especially at a young age and our mindsets being created so so early um that you know your view of yourself was so impacted and shaped by your position in the family by what else was going on around you by all the moving and and things like that um that to then be able to reframe that for yourself and allow yourself to be seen um with the validation obviously that must have really helped as well uh i can imagine that it was really useful how 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 did you use tapping like on the in the trauma side of things for that yeah so I think I mean I initially came to to tapping I'd never had any knowledge of it or anything I I went to see um what I thought you know who I thought was a counsellor and she I'd had just had a miscarriage um late on and um I wanted to try for more children but I couldn't get past that block of that fear of having another miscarriage and so I went and I, I was like, I really want more kids. And she said, I'm going to do this, this tapping with you. And the floodgates just opened um, this release. And I didn't know why. I, I knew what I was crying for, but there was this release of so much, so many other things as well. Mm. It was kind of like I was holding everything. Like if I can just stay in control, everything's going to be fine. And it was just like this, my everything was just like heightened and tight and I, I can even feel it now and that first few rounds of tapping it was just like oh my god it's okay it's safe to sort of just let go it's safe to release and then I just felt like this clarity afterwards that it's okay like it's okay to try again um and that's what opened it up to me and then when I'd gone I guess when I was processing a lot and when we go through the training of EFT and also helping my kids during lockdown, helping myself, I'd just go into a room and just tap, tap. Um, I was tapping with my kids. I was tapping in the shower. (laughs) And it was kind of this tool that just kept coming out all the time for even just if I needed to cry like that, you know, remember that overwhelm of just like, we didn't know what to do. Like we didn't know anything. And I just needed it to like release tears. So it was like, so it's been so useful. So, so useful. And sometimes I forget that I have it and I haven't, I haven't used tapping for like a week or so. Yeah. Just like, what am I doing? Like I can just literally go into a room and <laughs> tap and talk, tap and talk. And I know that I will get that help, but even I have to remind myself it's there. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, it's one, isn't it? When you forget. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I don't use it for myself as much as I use it for other yeah. people. And I'm also 
every time I'm tapping with a client, I'm getting the benefits of Mm -hmm. what they're tapping on. On some level in my psyche, I am shifting and releasing as well. And a lot of my clients will know I'm burping and yawning away for them. (laughs) Um, It's quite embarrassing sometimes. Um, So let's go back a step a little bit and actually unpick what ADHD is and what we know of it now because you you do reference kind of what was known of it in the early 90s and the that it was a boy thing and we, we've heard a lot in the news of the past few years that women are becoming um diagnosed at like a really really high level um mm-hmm. maybe compared to before and there's research now about girls masking and, and all that kind of stuff so have a little let's chat about like what ADHD is and how it presents mm. So, I mean, first of all, it's the, you know, it's the ADHD attention deficit hyperactivity um, disorder and the words deficit and disorder are just, it's the whole thing, the whole name doesn't really sort of, um, it, it, it lends to the stigma. Mm-hmm. So it's a neurodevelopmental difference. So yes, our brains are different. And um, there is this neurodivergence where we see things and we, um, we, we look at things differently and the way we manage our nervous system is different and our how we regulate our emotions is different, but it's not a deficit and it's not a disorder. It's just different. a difference. And very often in this world that we're navigating, it's made up for neurotypicals, but actually if we, if we could live on this sort of magical Island <laughs> where we could work with all our strengths and we could live in the way and, and work in the way that suited us, we would be flying. It's just that we are kind of swimming upstream um, against a society and conditioning yeah. that um, doesn't necessarily sort of um, lend itself to the way our brains thrive. So that in itself is 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 tricky because we are not sort of we don't we, we're in these sort of conformities that don't um, work for us very well, and but when we are able to work and live and breathe and do all the things and sleep in the way that feels good to us, it does life does feel easier. Going back to women, girls, um, we now know that there's no reason men and boys should have more ADHD like that's not it it's a split ratio but we were just I guess doctors were just you know teachers whatever people were just um educated to spot it in boys because it kind of came out in a much more physical hyperactive impulsive naughty you know however you want to describe that way where sitting in class is, is difficult, fidgeting, um, wanting to shout out, wanting to talk, you know, it came out in a very sort of physical way so you could Obvious. see. Obvious, yeah. Whereas girls, it is like you say, the masking and that a lot of internalization. So that sort of hyperactivity is going on internally. Mm. So we've got very busy brains and our nervous system's very busy and our emotions are very busy and, but it's all internalized. So we're sort of, you know, it's almost, we, we contain it and we contain it and then puberty happens and then all our hormones are there. And sometimes we can only contain it for so long until something quite big happens like childbirth, perimenopause, a big life change, illness, stress. I mean, the amount of stress mm-hmm. that we hold as women now, we're doing everything and all the things. Yeah. And so there's no you know, I get really angry when people say that ADHD is a trend or it's very topical oh. at the moment or um, everyone's being diagnosed with ADHD. It's because we are understanding it better and we're understanding mm. the nuances of it better. And we are able to backtrack through our lives and see how it showed up through a lens of more empowerment and more knowledge and more trained you know um specialists and experts but there's not enough of them which is why there's this huge backlog for people waiting for diagnoses and very often we say we know it's genetic so we will have seen this pan out you know we talk about generational cycles and family Mm. patterns we will have seen this pan out through the generations and we will have seen this through chaos dysfunction addiction trauma breakdowns um mental health issues suicide the list goes on and that is when people start getting a little bit more in a piece that they are able to get these answers um 
but there's a huge amount of gaslighting going on and there's a huge amount of self-doubt like do I really have this is this really you know a thing but um yeah it's it's much more common than you think it is yeah and if you think about all the people that we know that have had chaotic dysfunctional lives maybe there's been this common thread throughout the the family and ADHD is often that common thread that's so interesting because a couple of things I want to come back to um mm. let's go into the generational trauma piece because I'm really interested in that anyway from kind of my work and and I see that show up a lot the ancestral trauma and the epigenetics and then we'll come back to the panorama interviews in a minute because I do want to cover that mm. um the the epigenetics piece so the the ancestral trauma, the theory is that um, previous generations to us, as they have um, experienced major trauma, I think thinking of like the Holocaust research, for example, um, that they, because of the trauma that they go through, the their gene expression changes. Mm-hmm. And that gene expression then gets passed down through the line, which predisposes people to maybe um depression uh ptsd um so that two people could experience the same experience and one person would become much more depressed or internalized um around that experience and the other person might just let it wash over them Mm -hmm. Um, and that's down to kind of the the genetic markers um so are we are we seeing that with adhd is that is because for me it's obviously nervous system roots back to lack of safety and if there was a lack of safety in someone in the family line mm. then of course they're going to be predisposed to a gene that is switched on to search for safety and mm. be more hyper vigilant does that make sense yeah it does and listen there's a lot of talk around does trauma create adhd and you know that's gabor mate's sort of school of thought i don't think <sighs> I don't think it does. I believe that um, it is there genetically. But what I do believe is with sort of the epigenetic side is that we could have had maybe sort of a stable upbringing or financial safety or parents have stayed together or there hasn't been addiction. And the ADHD is still there, but it may not be um, so high on the spectrum. And we do know that it's a spectrum. We know that some people are much more debilitated by it. And some people, maybe they know they have it, but actually they've got the right scaffolding in place. They've got a good partner. Um, financially, they can afford um, help. You know, all these things, it all contributes this from a societal perspective. Um, and then we know there's other people who trauma has been, you know, in, it, so intrinsic in their life and their family's life that the ADHD is just off the scale. So they kind of feed into each other, but I don't believe trauma creates ADHD. I believe that trauma is um, a byproduct of ADHD. Um, it's typically always there because if you think about we're the, like the first generation of women who are understanding that we've got ADHD, think of all the women before us who will have been on some form of spectrum and not known it and would have been masking and using self-medicating and choosing the wrong partners and putting themselves in risky situations and not fulfilling themselves from like a purpose perspective you know this is a huge um story I hear from so many women is that they feel like they've had so much more they want to give more but maybe they've um, been stunted from an academic perspective they've not been able to um do certain work because certain things have, have been much more difficult for them So it's kind of like this um, opportunity is a new chapter for people to kind of go, right, now I understand I'm not stupid, I'm not lazy, this is not a deficit, this is not um, a disorder, this is just me now needing to understand that I need some help in this capacity so I can shine in that capacity. And that that understanding and that awareness is huge for people, it's groundbreaking because all of a sudden their self-belief system changes yeah, well, they stop blaming themselves. Yes. You know, because they're understanding, oh, this is who I am. This is how I am. I mean, I don't, have you heard of, have you looked into your human design? Yes. Yeah. So I find that with human design, it's like, oh, that's what I'm like. That's yes. my type. That's my 
that's why I do certain things. That's why I burn out. That's why I'm really great at getting stuff done. But then I fall off the cliff afterwards. Yes. Like, and, and understanding that it, it's, it's it, it, there's a relationship there, isn't there? It's like, actually, if you can understand the why you are the way you are, it takes away so much of the blame. And actually, I found that with the ancestral piece, just ring, bringing that round, is when you realize that it's not your trauma, you haven't done anything wrong, you've just been in a genetic line where there has been previous traumas, you're able to take away that um the guilt and the shame of carrying certain things, certain responsibilities, certain emotions, energies, because totally. you realize it's not yours. Totally. And that in itself, you know, we, again, with ADHD, we see a lot of people pleasing, perfectionism, mm. lack of boundaries, um, and, and that's learned behavior. We've seen yeah. that, you know, through the, through the cycles. And it's, um, it's really empowering to know that we can break that. Um, it is it's scary though because we only know one way of living and then we're mm. able to kind of go okay what do I want to choose now like how do I want to choose where where to live and it can be very heavy energy you know we're, we're very typically empaths as well highly sensitive mm-hmm. um, you know there's something called RSD which is rejection sensitivity dysphoria which seems to be a running thread you know a really common thread through most people that have got ADHD they really do sort of resonate with the RSD side of their ADHD so it's rejection sensitivity dysphoria and what that means is we are we're so highly sensitive there's this fear of um criticism rejection um I would say it's kind of ostracization Mm -hmm. um anything that involves someone telling us that we've not done a good job or we're going to get found out or um, we're going to get fired or we're going to someone's going to break up with this it's this it's like our nervous system is constantly heightened ready and it and it's because of that we're sort of on this um like I said this sort of fight or flight Mm -hmm. you know state the whole time which is why burnout stress autoimmune issues are so prevalent in the ADHD community because we are we're the watch keepers you know if you want to look change it around we're the ones that are were typically you know sat outside the cave watching out for, for danger this high vigilance yes. that um, again I hear all the time and something that I really resonated with is we're just always waiting waiting for things to happen waiting you know and I'm like that with my kids. It's terrible. It's <laughs> something that I am constantly working on. Yeah. Um, and it's not a relaxing way to live. No. Yeah. Oh my God, I can't. But we're very good at pre, um, I guess, sort of being there to, to be like two steps ahead. We're very good at watching the situation and kind of planning. Um, so we're good people to have as like, you know, health and safety teams. <laughs> yeah yeah you, you know all the pitfalls and the dangers that could that could be coming yeah but I mean that's exhausting right because you're exhausting. living in your head mm-hmm. rather than in your intuition perhaps or in your body would that be right very much so so a huge amount of work that I try and do um with my clients but also for myself is dropping from my head mm. the busy busy mind that will keep going if we let it the whole time and coming back into our bodies and kind of like calming our bodies down and telling ourselves it's safe, it's safe to relax, it's safe to um, rest, that we don't have to be productive. And it's, you know, we have this sort of um, typical way of of being like in a hyper-focus mode or just completely zombified because to do the in-between is really hard. Like just to sort of sit on a couch and chill and not be worrying about should be answering this email and what lunch do I need to be doing that's really really hard for us so we um we have to train ourselves we have to retrain our programming to be okay with resting and feeling calm and it's okay to have a break and it's safe Mm. to just kind of enjoy ourselves and have fun and relax yeah yeah, I think enjoyment is coming up uh, for me and my clients a lot recently. It's like, we're actually taking life far too seriously <laughs> because of this lack of safety and this hypervigilance. You know, we're constantly looking for the dangers rather than looking for the joy in the moment. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm kind of getting the feeling that we don't have to wait till we have a diagnosis. We don't have to have a diagnosis right? to bring ourselves to this space where we can actually just reclaim our the way we think our, about ourselves and, and our power, for want of a better word. You know, like we don't have to hit rock bottom before we start to make some improvements and changes. Safety is and like I see this with a lot of my clients. Um, safety is key, you know, and then that is what tapping does. It hacks the brain into feeling safe and allows everything to drop in, basically. But for somebody with ADHD, safety is like more of a priority. Mm. So really focusing on the somatic practices, the 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 choosing, you know, that I choose to feel safe. I, I you know, the the empowered side of the tapping mm. will really I would presume it would help that grounding in that dropping in. Yeah. I mean, listen, our brain is wired for anxiety. It's wired for this hypervigilance and seeking, you know, looking for danger. Mm. Um, and that is really great in very small bursts when we really need it. Um, but to live like that constantly every day, like you said, is exhausting. Mm. Um, but it also causes other illnesses and, and lots of mental health problems. So we have to almost make this daily intention, you know, waking up in the morning with this daily intention of seeking enjoyment, seeking joy, seeking rest, seeking peace, relaxation in some capacity. And that, listen, you know, I I know we all live in this sort of very fast paced real world with kids and work and life and responsibilities. But even if we can find a few micro moments, just dotted where we're not sitting on our phone, checking emails while having a coffee, um, mm. And I have to remind myself this every day, like every yeah. single day I wake up and it's like Groundhog Day, genuinely, because my brain automatically is check all social media, check emails. What are you doing today? What shopping needs to be? Blah, 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 blah. That's like my brain. But I have to then make that decision. OK, do I want my nervous system straight away at seven in the morning to be like, like frazzled? Yeah. Or can I start slow? it's okay that I'm not answering emails until nine o'clock. <laughs> I don't have to respond to every Instagram message. Um, and I'm learning that slowly that nothing bad will happen if I take my finger off the the, the pulse a little bit. Is that the right word? Yeah. Foot off the gas. Yeah, off the gas. Foot off the gas, <laughs> finger on the pulse, whatever. I, that's another ADHD thing. We always get all our sayings all mixed up. <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, it is. It's, it's daily reminders. And we do, we with our neuro um, programming, eventually it's it, it, it works, it rewires, but it does yeah. take like everyday intention. Intention. Yeah, and because we've, you know, the brain is, got that plasticity we can rewire and reframe i'm an eft tapping practitioner and trainer and i work with women all around the world helping them truly let go so they can shape their own future free from the conditioning and shackles of the past i've created a tapping into motherhood membership and community where we meet monthly to tap on emotions and issues that are coming up for us We enjoy guest speakers and I create a tapping script or meditation for the month too. As well as that, you have access to a library of over 160 tapping videos, meditations, resources and courses. So visit tappingformums.com forward slash join dash membership. So something coming to me there is around... The, the conditioning that we go through as women um, and the masculine feminine balancing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, because we are conditioned as children to operate in the masculine world, aren't we? To push, to strive, to achieve, to do, to output. Um, there is no value given to just being, to, to mm-hmm. creating. So we learn very young that, and perhaps that plays into the masking piece. It's like, in order to fit in, in order to sail through or not cause a fuss, etc., I must head down, worry, um, graft, achieve, etc. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Listen, you know, we we most of us find our worth in our productivity and mm. our results on external validation. 
Um, and especially if you're a people pleaser, especially if you are ambitious, you're a perfectionist. And mm-hmm. it does, you know, and we, we have been brought up by a generation of parents, you know, if we're talking, you know, if we're in our 40s and 50s, mm. who are post-war, safety for them was everything. They didn't have the same financial opportunities that we have. So it was this lack mentality, mm-hmm. was fear-based thinking, And we're now in this place, this sort of generation where we're thinking, this is not working for us. Look, mental health is, we're at a crisis. Our kids are going through, you know, awful situations. Maybe this mindset, this mentality is not working anymore and we need to flip the script. And the people who are getting it, who are kind of going, oh, okay, like something's just, you know, this, something's clicked for them. And they're recognizing that being and relaxing and working with their energy and recognizing the ebb and flow, but also kind of leaning into what lights them up more and not having to conform to what we have been told is is the right way of living. And then we're starting to see these little shifts. I believe that we're still another generation from, unfortunately from this, I really hope that our kids' generation are gonna be like, it's it's okay to have fun. Like, we don't have to be working the whole time. Like (laughs) we can relax, we can enjoy life. We can go away and travel. And, you know, it's the be all and end all isn't like having a mortgage. Nine to five. Exactly. Yeah. Who knows, but it, I think it works really well with our brains and our nervous system to make everyday choices, to lean into joy, movement, calm, in yeah. a piece, checking back in and moving away from the external validation and the do, do, do productivity worth mantra that we've been sold, which doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, 100%. There is a shift that has to shift and look at like the health crises around the world are telling us that, aren't they? And then, yeah, I think that we would, you know, uh, us as parents now, we're teaching our kids to value enjoyment and pleasure and love Mm. over um you know a, a, a linear path or the the path that we were conditioned to follow so I yeah I think that's definitely changing oh hope God. for the future yes <laughs> no really yeah and that is something you know mm. and I think just going back to the ancestral stuff again many of us have been brought up by parents who have had undiagnosed mental health, neurodiversities and all these things that have come up that I I speak to clients who are sort of getting diagnoses in their 40s and 50s and their parents who are sort of like in their 80s, 70s and 80s, they are spotting, you know, they go, well, my dad's definitely autistic. My mum may have ADHD and autism. They can understand it now through a new lens and that compassion for maybe a parent that couldn't really parent in the way that was needed um, is, is growing and yeah. the compassion for their younger self, for the choices that they mm. deem wrong is now changing. So we're actually sort of this, we're maybe rewiring our cells a little bit of, okay, love, compassion and, all, and forgiveness for all yeah. that we didn't know and all the resources that we didn't have. And I hope we can offer this then now, you know, back to ourselves so we can give that to our children. Um, because I see, I'm very much trying to work on that for myself a little bit. Yeah. That's such a beautiful point. Thank you for raising that because it's so important that we don't blame because they didn't have the information. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the support. They didn't know any other way. They didn't, the, the, the awareness just isn't there. I, subsequently after my granddad dying have I realized that I think he was highly um Asperger's Mm. and just looking at him from that lens makes me see him in such a different way and I think oh my god had he been nurtured and supported in a certain way how could he have had a completely different life and I think that absolutely he would have but my dad and my aunts and uncles would have been raised in in a different way as well and I can see the impact of that. And um, my parents were very conscious to try and break their generational upbringing, luckily for me. Um, Mm. And, you know, not everyone has parents that were able to do that. Uh, So I think that, you know, I'm very grateful for that. And it's definitely helped me. 
Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely felt the ancestral piece um, in, in different ways. And, and, you know, I don't know, like, would it be true that a lot of people would have these symptoms, but just these varying, varying degrees? And, and when I, when I, let's touch on the panorama do- documentary, we, I had a look at that the other day and then, you know, they, um, oh God, I've lost what I was going to say. <laughs> happens to me all the time there's the old perimenopause brain coming into play um oh god what was I gonna say it'll come to you I'm sure when you say yeah yeah um so the panorama the panorama interview yeah that was so triggering and so disruptive and unsettling for so many people and they um, I was just reading before that apparently it's the second most complained panorama program <gasps> of all time. Wow. And they were just, and there were only a few hundred complaints away from it being the top most complained panorama. Wow. So that shows how, um, damaging. how bad and damaging it was and how they could have made, they could have really, really helped people. They could have mm. used that platform to, to really validate and help people. Yeah. They basically did the absolute opposite. And I've had so many messages from people saying they were either diagnosed at one of these clinics or currently waiting to be diagnosed. And now they don't know what to do. They, do, they don't know, should they be waiting on a five-year waiting list for NHS? Or should they go ahead and go, you know, with a private diagnosis, which is pretty much the, the only thing they can do if they want to get medication. Um, so there's people there thinking, oh, this is okay. I've got like, I'm getting waiting for the diagnosis and I'm going to understand myself better. And then this huge kind of like curveballs hit them where they're like, well, will I even be believed? You know, have I even got this thing? This is ridiculous. Like, I'm not going to be believed now and, and everyone's going to dismiss it. Mm. So it's been yeah really awful and I was sort of picking up so many pieces from it and so many other people were as well in this this community yeah the I suppose that links to the gaslighting you were referring to earlier you know it's mm. um the the idea that you know a lot the people who are, who are paying for these private assessments have been waiting for so long or are so desperate for the diagnosis and the support that comes afterwards and um, that maybe that's why the 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 rate of diagnosis is higher and I do agree with I I can I can see the perspective of panorama in terms of the time it takes to do the diagnosis versus the NHS diagnosis you know like well, the, I I have to say that most private diagnoses I know about and I went through was a three-hour process oh okay right so they were again very narrow in their story pretty pretty much every single person I know that's had a private diagnosis which is more people than the NHS yeah um have gone through a rigorous process they're exhausted you literally gonna have to lie down afterwards wow I had to provide school reports I had to provide um a written statement from two family members um, which again can be quite triggering for people because many times we've been masking and the family members have no Blame. idea about it. Mm-hmm. So you you know it, the whole process is flawed, and they're just trying they they they're just working with what they've got right now because the trained in, um, experts aren't there, the resources aren't there, the mm. clinics aren't there, and this the demand is is four hundred percent more. Um, inquiries about ADHD diagnoses over the past two years so that's a 400% increase there's no other condition right now that has had this huge jump wow um, awareness topicality because um basically doctors have only only recognized the past 10 years that women can have ADHD they've read you know in the DSM that is they now go women and girls can have ADHD where before it was only a very few amount of clinicians mostly in America who diagnose girls with ADHD it was very few and far between so we are working on the back foot here it's like clearing debris and yes you know there's going to be road clinics there's going to be clinicians who aren't quite up to scratch like in every area yeah yeah but because ADHD has always had a bit of a stigma and a taboo because of the medication, the type of medication it is, but also because people have deemed it 
bad parenting, naughty child, spoiled kid, sugar, you know, mm. all of that disruptive. They need to keep a control on that child. The language and the narrative has always been very negative. And now we're only just understanding, okay, if, if someone is in prison and they've gone through the prison system many, many times, they keep reoffending. Why? Is it because they're just a bad person or a naughty child? No. Now we're understanding that something like 60%, that's what they're estimating, of people who are either have been in prison or are in prison right now have probably gotten diagnosed neurodivergence, probably ADHD. Wow. And so now there's this scheme, there's a pilot scheme happening in London where anyone that is arrested that is sort of showing or displaying behaviour that could be ADHD, they're going fast tracking them through an assessment. Wow. Because we're now understanding that if the kids are supported, helped, maybe often medication, they're not going to go back to drugs, they're not going to reoffend, they're not going to be disruptive. Yeah. Um, and this is a massive shift now. So we're now understanding wow. that this is a societal situation. We now know addiction and disordered eating is highly connected to undiagnosed ADHD. So wow. we ne- we see a lot of girls not being fixed. I'm doing an inverted commas here. Mm-hmm. Um, or they go back to this sort of pattern of disordered eating because they can't understand why when they get the ADHD diagnosis, perhaps they're put on the right medication or they understand why their brain is sort of doing, you know, this behavior that gives them the compassion to kind of like look at things differently. So we're getting psychiatrists understanding where ADHD is playing with addiction and disordered eating. Wow. It's a much bigger picture. And so when I have people come to me and say, they've never understood why binge eating, they can't keep a control of their binge eating, why they um, have had um, alcohol problems, um, they go to cocaine, they are, um, they just can't sort of control the way they eat or don't eat. We, we know now that undiagnosed ADHD can often play a big, big part in this. So what, so for the people who are going through the diagnosis, process or have had a diagnosis what does the diagnosis give other than validation and you know uh I suppose like with children I suppose it, it also helps with getting the support in school in place mm-hmm. I would assume that they get the right you know the right like aids in the classroom to support them yeah. and and so on um so yeah t- talk us through maybe for kids and for adults what what the benefit of a diagnosis is so let's start with kids um mm. so for kids like you say we get the accommodations we, I, we hope again the centipede send teachers in schools are amazing are they really up to date with adhd probably mm. not we know adhd just doesn't travel alone with other um education needs like dyslexia dyspraxia dyscalculia we know very often they sort of all come under the same umbrella so if a kid is being treated or helped with dyslexia we need to keep an eye open for ADHD as well. So that's memory retention. That is the way we are processing. We're hearing things, sensory things, noises, smells, lights. This is a much bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be understanding kids and sort of say, right, that school environment, that classroom environment is not going to be helping them. They can't sit there for an hour and retain information and be told to sit still without fidgeting, tapping, asking questions. They need their brain needs stimulating in different ways, but it also needs calming and quieting in different ways. They need more rest breaks. They mm. need um, environments that haven't got a million noises and yeah, more neutral. I heard was really like this. Some schools are more like neutral, so they don't put all the artwork all over the place, mm. hanging off washing lines and everything that I've seen, um, where everything's like Hessian based and it's just calmer overall. Yeah. Yeah, because we also know that we have this gravitational pull towards nature. So, which is why we tend, when we've had a diagnosis, or we have that the opportunity to kind of look back and go, now I understand why I pull towards water, being in the countryside, why I love working with my hands, being outside, because nature calms our nervous system. Grounding, yeah. Which is why forest schools are amazing for ADHD kids. It's why when your kids have been playing on the Xbox and they're totally wired and they're jumping and bouncing around, you say, right, dog walk in the rain, get out. All of a sudden you'll see that they are, they switch. So 
this diagnosis is almost like a compass for us to come back to. It's a way of us understanding what works, what doesn't, where we thrive, where our strengths are, how we can help our kids, where teachers can help them with their kids. What are the best ways that we can use our energy as well? So it's incredibly empowering to have a diagnosis and it's not a label. It's not like, oh, you're just doing that so you get extra time on a test. You're doing that because so you can sort of just say that you can't concentrate. This is this is much bigger. The self-understanding and this is amazing for the self-esteem of kids when they can understand when they're mature enough to understand, okay, my brain just works differently. This is just a different way and my brain doesn't suit that crazy busy noisy environment I need to be somewhere where maybe having a bit more one-to-one or quiet time or I'm able to just kind of chill a little bit yeah then from a parenting perspective it allows the parent to understand the child Mm. and allows the parent to read books listen to podcasts go to groups um, get help coaching whatever that is and they can look at it go that child's not behaving that way to to you know despite me to annoy me yeah yeah this child is asking me as the adult the resourced adult to help them in a way they aren't able to help themselves Mm -hmm. instead of just sort of batting them away or telling them to sit still or why can't you sit at the table like a normal child why can't you do this like these are all the things that I've heard probably said Mm. uh, and I know that lots of other people do when they don't have the understanding of ADHD they just think they've got an irritating, annoying, naughty child, which Mm -hmm. is there to test them. And then from an adult perspective, when we get that diagnosis, we can understand our child better. We can understand our inner child's needs better. Mm -hmm. What are we still as adults crying out for that we didn't get as kids? What can we ask other people around us for? How can we ask for more help? Where do we need more support? Again, we won't have probably been very good at asking for help we will have internalized and masked and told ourselves we should be coping better we should be you know um we should be just getting on with things why am I finding this more difficult than other people and then it gives us that allowance it's okay to not know everything and be good at everything and that we are allowed to ask for help hopefully we'll have a partner that is understanding that Mm -hmm. they'll want to do some research and hopefully we'll have friends very often I hear that we we often attract like-minded people. So when one of us gets diagnosed, or kind of opens a bit of a kind of worm, the floodgates, I've seen it, where a lot of friends go, you know what, I really relate. And we, you know, we always hang out in packs and tribes. <laughs> There's no, no um, coincidence that no. you will be surrounded by other neurodivergent people and p- potentially a partner as well. Mm. You may have probably attracted a neurodivergent partner in a different way. You see very often autistic and ADHD together because if you think about the yin and the yang that there are crossovers there's lots of synergy but sometimes we are looking as the ADHD person for someone that is very um kind of like organized routine led um you know which systems are very important because we are looking for that that we don't have in ourselves so but then the autistic person is perhaps looking for someone that's a little bit more kind of free-spirited and a bit messier that they can kind of delve into that world a little bit without them having to you know to do it so yeah but then on the flip side sometimes sadly we see it the clash and that clash can be also quite difficult to live with as well when Mm -hmm. we we were sort of triggering triggering each other and offsetting each other and all things like that um so and, and if you're working you're working in an office and you get a diagnosis you have a right to ask for accommodation if it feels safe and comfortable to bring it up. You have a right to, to question and, and maybe have conversations about different ways of working wow. that they'll get the best out of you, that you'll mm. be the most, you know, the most productive way that you could work and they can help you kind of feel more regulated. And remember, stress and burnout is much more prevalent in the neurodivergent community so how do we work without being this sort of overworker overcompensating this workaholic where we can still do our job you know really well but actually it's okay to kind of like switch off and kind of 
you know, be I'm, I'm offline now. I'm these are my working boundaries. Yes, so it gives us a huge permission, permission and empowerment. Mm. So yeah, it's not a label. It's um, an opportunity to step into a new way of living that works better for you. I love that. I've um, a friend of mine, her husband and four children, well, three of the four, maybe all four, have recently had varying diagnosis. And as a man in his mid-40s, he was extremely triggered. I think his inner child felt very, very let down, very wounded. Um, how are you seeing that in your community, like that the diagnosis is actually bringing up a lot of the vulnerability and trauma from childhood yeah yeah it is like you know that's it we look back and we retrospectively kind of go through all the different times of what if what if things were different you know if I'd made that decision or someone had helped me there Mm. or had that support but as we all know we can only move forward so we can't change the past but we can forgive try and forgive and we can send ourselves love and compassion to that younger self. And it's actually so healing. Like we, I actually can't, you can't underestimate going back. And I do quite a lot of sort of inner child yeah. self-compassion EFT. Yeah. Because there's often that block there that we can't move past of the anger and resentment and grief. Like, why didn't they see? Why didn't I get that help? Yeah. If only I'd known. Um and, and it goes back to not fulfilling our potential. Like if I'd done this, I could have mm. graduated. I could have gone to uni, could have got a better job. Um, and I always think like, let's do that self-compassion healing, that inner child healing. And let's see what that releases and what kind of like gives us permission to step into. And so, yeah, just going back and talking to that younger version of ourselves in a tapping sort of practice is yeah. incredibly healing. And yeah, I, I use um, yeah, inner myself. child in nearly every single event uh, convers- uh, session with the client because it holds the key to the mindset and the being able to reframe um, and and let go of old beliefs, old patterns that's going to be key to actually navigating life going forward with this awareness and, and increased self-compassion and, and forgiveness. Um, so yeah, I'm so glad that you are using that as well. It's so, so powerful. <laughs> mm, yeah, definitely. And there's always a wounded child there, you know, no matter however, however you present yourself. Yep. Any, yeah, any the most confident person, you just need to yeah. do five minutes of tapping. <laughs> And, and you'll we'll find get, out. Yeah, that, that, but it's, it's kind of like what part is leading the show? Yeah. What part do you want to move forward? Like what part of you is it's going to like take that future you and, and start kind of like living. Um, and yeah. so it doesn't matter how old you are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people I hear go, well, what's the point of a diagnosis? I'm in my fifties. There's no point. And I actually think, well, yeah. Have you got dreams? Have you got desires? You got ambitions? Like what? And then maybe either a diagnosis or going back and kind of helping that inner child and letting her go or like giving her that love, that compassion that she was seeking. Yeah. Like you say, is like that unlocking the door to, Mm. you know, new career changes, new partners. It's limitless, the potential when you clear those old limiting beliefs and behaviors and I think awareness is the biggest part of that and that can come from the diagnosis so I think it's a beautiful full circle there um so for somebody listening who thinks oh my god I might have ADHD where do you where do you start what do you do yeah so you know two years ago I would have said good luck with your GP (laughs) but now I do believe that the GPs um are are getting this all the time now so I think they are I hope getting um training there's more awareness they're understanding um and the younger the GP is I think the more chance you've got that they will have more awareness Mm -hmm. Um, the amount of doctors clients I've had you know so it doesn't matter what profession you work Mm -hmm. in you can't be too clever to have ADHD (laughs) I have had people with doctor doctorates masters they are like off the scale, like intellectual. Wow. 
and they have realized actually they've also got ADHD Mm. so I don't want anyone to think well I'm so successful I've had a really good career I'm well educated and my house is tidy there's no way I can have ADHD (laughs) um so yeah I would kind of want to like break down that taboo as well um but some people it presents in a very sort of classic way of like total disorganization and chaos and they are a sort of walking physical embodiment of what we believe ADHD is but sometimes it's not it's very well hidden and controlled Mm. and masked um so go to your GP and be and and you have to be the advocate you have to kind of go in there and go right I'm going to do an online test myself just to kind of know in my in myself that I'm not going to be I'm not going to gaslight myself, but I'm not going to let someone else gaslight me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to really do the research, listen to some podcasts, read a book, you know, really kind of go in there with this self-confidence of, I think I definitely have ADHD and I'd really like a referral, please. Um, because then you are going in there um, empowered, knowing that you're advocating yourself because remember, no one's been advocating for us all these yep. years. Mm-hmm. And I hope the GP will be able to signpost you towards a private diagnosis um, or through the NHS. Some people miraculously are getting diagnoses on the NHS within a year and some places it is a five year wait and it's really wow. awful. And unless you have the funds, which can go into the thousands, um, some people just have to just accept that there may be a self-diagnosis is, is enough. Yeah, they can't get the medication if they unless they have had that psychiatric diagnosis. Okay, and what what does the medication do? What what why would you need it? So the the medication can be very helpful. You've either got the stim, stimulant, which is sort of like what we've always known about, you know, um, methylphenidate, which is like a ritalin, but we also have like non-stimulant options as well. We've got long release. Um, we've got medication now I think there's four or five different types in the UK there's more in America that can help with binge eating anxiety overthinking RSD you know there's ones but on the flip side we've got ones that are you know helpful for you know short acting where we just need a burst of really being able to sit down and focus and get some work done which is sometimes very good for kids at university and a levels and things like that where it's a physical impossibility to sit down to get started it's like our body is just going we're not sitting down you're not concentrating and then with the 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 medication helps kind of get all the synapses into place in our brain and we kind of go oh actually it's really easy just to sit down and start working however unfortunately a lot of times the medication is not great it can induce anxiety it can induce panic attacks Mm. it can have an impact on sleep it can have an impact on appetite and sometimes the people just don't want to go there some people just kind of think maybe just with the awareness and maybe with some coaching with some help mindfulness yoga changing my diet my sleep anything lifestyle being more outside in nature more yeah just a combination of lifestyle tweaks can actually be really helpful thing mm. exactly um so it's very very personal and it also depends on how desperate you are you know like i unfortunately we know that anxiety and depression can be a very big part of undiagnosed adhd but very often when we get the awareness and the diagnosis just that awareness alone can really relieve the depression and the anxiety because it's like, finally I'm not going mad I know that this is like an actual neurological thing so we it's very personal it's very nuanced there's lots of different ways there's sort of this term of sort of skills over pills where coaching talking externalizing connecting with like-minded people community mm-hmm. community helps incredibly it's just just talking to another adhd woman who you really relate to can be one of the most cathartic things you've ever done wow yeah so tell me how do you support do you have a membership you provide you have an amazing podcast about this so tell me like what have you learned and what are you doing to support the adhd community yeah so um, yeah, my podcast, it's the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. Um, it's been incredibly helpful. And I know that because I get messages all the time saying, you've helped me understand myself. You've helped me. You've mm. saved me. You've saved my marriage. Aww. You've helped me go through the process of a diagnosis. 
Um, you've helped me understand why I do the things I do, why the, my brain wants to work. And you've validated all the little things that other people wouldn't understand. So I'm not doing this as a self-promotion. I'm saying this because I know that these episodes are helping people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you are intrigued, go through. There's about 65 episodes there with each one different kind of, um, I guess like, we're focusing on different things but the the content is always ADHD um I've got a membership where there's about currently about 50 women from all around the world who and we do twice a month um workshops I do one with a guest expert and one with uh, myself where I do sort of like coaching and talking connecting provide resources um I do workshops one-to-one is slightly more limited at the moment um but yeah, I guess my raison d'etre, my community is all based on women who are discovering their ADHD later on in life yeah. and giving them tools and techniques and permission to thrive and not have to just survive kind of wading through life, not knowing what, why they are, who they are. And I know, I do know that the community aspect, anywhere you go, but especially with women who have questioned themselves all their lives who are then kind of like, wow, okay, these are my people. It's very, very, um, I think that in itself is very helpful. They meet up, they like, they connect, <laughs> you know, they have all these similar similar kind of hobbies and mindsets. And yeah, it's kind of like this sisterhood that they've been looking for for, mm-hmm. for all their lives. And yeah, so it's fun. I can, um, I can relate because I have the exact same thing with my membership. And I have like a lot of um, girls in Ireland and in the UK and the Irish ones, because I think the close pro- closer proximity, they're able to meet each other a lot more regularly. Um, and some of them said they have made friends for a lifetime, you know, based on, again, like you said, similar interests, going through similar things in motherhood and, and so on. So, yeah, I really I could see the power of community and and um, especially going through something that I think is quite niche and specific because, mm. the you know, the ADHD part, whether you're a mother or not, just being a uh, a woman navigating it I think um what you offer is so supportive so yeah I'm thrilled thank you so much for this conversation I mean we could go on a, a lot but um I think I probably need to wrap it up um but thank you so much that was amazing thank you Sarah thank you thanks so much for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoyed this chat and had a few light bulb moments What are your key takeaways? Please do subscribe, follow or leave a rating or review to help this podcast reach more people and jump into my DMs and let me know how you get on. Thanks again to Olverum who are generously giving us 20% discount with the code TAPPINGFORMUMS in caps. Do share with me what you buy and what you think. Also, don't forget to check out my website to take my quiz and start ramping up your own self-care practices visit tappingformums.com.